0: back to the show
1: everybody thank you for joining me here this is dave mantel you have found your way to another episode of the broken light show this is my show my podcast we talk about a lot of things here and uh hopefully you're here on purpose if this is your first time welcome if this is uh not your first time then i don't care about you at all uh so no i'm just kidding i love you guys you're the only reason I'm here every week, day after day, doing this little thing. We got a great episode for you today. Uh, we are featuring Latifah Phillips of so many bands. Uh, most notably probably is uh, Paige CXVI and The Autumn Film. She also produces uh, many artists. In fact, uh, it's Tuesday night when I'm recording this and today uh an album by Erin Strumpel I think that's how you say the last name Strumpel that came out today uh people are really talking about it she is involved in that project and many others you'll get to hear all about it when we chat in a little bit it's a lot of fun uh I giggle a lot which is i I'd him realizing that my role in this show is deteriorating more and more to just me giggling with whoever I'm talking with. Uh, so thanks for listening to that, I guess. (laughs) This is where we get the hard hitting interviews, get to the truth of the matter. And also that guy giggles a lot. That's me. Um, but apparently you guys are, uh, into the show because, uh, We've been talking about it for a couple weeks now, but we had a very successful Kickstarter for this show that is ending today. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, it is ending today uh, at sometime like 1 or 2 o'clock Central Time in the afternoon. I'm not sure the exact hour, um, but it is finished. It is uh, funded, overfunded, over 150% funded. And that is all due to you guys. If this is your first time listening, you have no idea what I'm talking about. We had a Kickstarter for this show to fund a website and uh, some other things. Website's probably the biggest, most important thing on that list of items. And uh, we totally did it. We totally raised all the funds we needed to do a whole other year. So we're doing 60 episodes in 2015 of The Broken Light Show. And I am super pumped. You can hear it in my voice how pumped I am, and uh, yeah, I'm talking to to more guests to get on the show, and I think you're really going to like it, and I'm going to like it, and we're going to like it together, and it's going to be great, and we're going to have a good time, and soon this website will be built, and you'll be able to click on pictures and tell your friends that there's a website you can go to. You won't just have to send them an iTunes link, and then we'll... All become super famous and you'll say, I listened to that podcast when it didn't even have a website and you can be so cool. Your indie cred will go up so freaking much. I don't know. That was a little bit of a tangent. I apologize. I was getting a little carried away. Um, but yeah, we funded that thing. And I'm, I'm really excited. So thank you guys to all of you who have funded this Show with your dollars You guys work You know during the week And and I work during the week And our dollars have combined to like make a thing That will live on the internet And I think that's a really cool That's a really cool experience um, So I'm going to do my best to live up to That Whole thing And I'm going to stop talking about it now Because who wants to hear me talk about Kickstarter for 20 minutes Not me Unless it's about I'm gonna I'm gonna talk later about all the things that I've learned that they don't really tell you in Kickstarter 101 class, which is nothing. You just kind of are like, mm, that seems like a thing to do, and then you do it. I'm gonna talk about all the experiences that I had um, making this thing, but I want to wait till it's all the way done so I can uh, give you the full picture. So expect that to come out soon. In the meantime, uh, there is something else that I wanted to talk about two things actually. Um, we're going to talk about two whole things today. I'm going to talk super fast because we usually only talk about one thing. Today it's going to be two. They're going to be kind of short. One, we've hit on already in this show, but um, recent events have prompted me to bring this up again on the show in case you had missed it the first time around, which is highly plausible um, because we are continuing to grow and not everybody You know, wants to go back and listen to all the back episodes of the podcast. And I totally get it. So I'm going to talk about this real quick. It's in regards to Facebook. If you're an artist of any kind, any medium, you have a, even if you're not necessarily considering yourself an artist, maybe you're a business person, you're running, uh, you know, a small business, a restaurant, or a, a thing, and you have a page on Facebook that you set up that requires people to like your. I'm like giving a thumbs up sign now, like you can see it, um, but requires people to go and click that thumbs up to say that they like your thing, and you expect then for those people to be able to see the updates that you post about that thing. Well, anyone who has done that can tell you that there's this crazy thing that happens when you you make that page, and that is that you don't the people that like your page do not see your posts which is crazy to think about if you haven't done that yet uh you may be thinking to yourself what uh, didn't people go and like push the thumbs up button don't they get my posts in their news feed and the answer is no no they don't and uh here's why facebook has decided a long time ago in the infancy of when they changed over from i don't remember even what it was it was like some kind of other form of the, the quote-unquote page where it's not like a personal profile, it's a thing, like a group maybe is what it was called. They changed over from that to something else where people could go and they could like the thing, and then they would see updates of the thing in their, their feed just like if you friended somebody. For example, if you like Chipotle, you like to have updates about burritos in your news feed, on Facebook, you go and you click that thumbs up on Chipotle and then you see all kinds of burritos in your newsfeed or maybe you're a burrito bowl person, I don't know. That's how it worked in the infancy of this page. But then Facebook decided that they wanted to start monetizing that feature because they saw that they had huge brands that were utilizing uh, their website. In fact, I remember watching a Super Bowl one year, which is crazy to think about. I'm. I don't watch sports usually, but I was at a place where the Super Bowl was on and I saw this commercial and this huge corporation, I think it was an insurance, it might have been like Geico or Allstate, they like had their we- their uh, commercial and at the end they didn't even give the website to their, their actual website, they just put their Facebook link at the end of the commercial and I was like, that seems very unprofessional. But, I was not the only person that noticed that. Facebook also took notice and said, hey, we have people running Super Bowl ads where they don't even advertise their website. They're advertising their Facebook page because that's the way that they're interacting with people, and so let's monetize that. And so they decided to throttle your interaction with people who actively have gone to your page and chosen to receive updates from your page and it works like this you post something as a status update from your page goes out into the world but actually it doesn't go out into the world it goes to maybe about a third if you're lucky sometimes 10 percent sometimes 30 percent of your actively liked viewers of your page unless you are in this state where you're paying Facebook to show your post to more people. And I was looking at some of the prices this week because this is something that I was uh, researching for this episode. And it's kind of ridiculous and it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's huge margins reaching like anywhere from 40,000. It was or but it was like, yeah, if you pay this much money, you can reach from 4,000 to 120,000, somewhere in there. And I was like, that's a huge margin. And uh, so, this is the way that things are now. And, and it, was, it was something that people complained about, but it wasn't completely useless because you could still contact a, a few, you know, a small amount of people. So, if you were active, this is something I, I was testing out earlier um, at the end of last year. Um, if you post more regularly, more people are um, that Facebook will show more people uh, in your in their news feed if you're posting certain types of posts like links, if you post links almost no one will see your link to anything whether it's a video or a website Facebook sees that you're trying to send people away from Facebook and they they shut that down um, but if you post say a picture of something a picture uh, g- it generally gets more views. Um, for whatever reason, I'm not sure. Um, And so these are some of the things. And and so it's February now. And at the end of January, so just a few days ago, a handful of days ago, Facebook ended what is called organic reach. And I'll I'll explain what the organic reach is, is when you would post something in that 10 to 30 percentile of your your likes and your page would get that in their newsfeed. Now it's done. There's no more organic reach. You can post something and uh, no no one will see it. They have to actively go to your page now in order to see any of the updates that you make. They're not going to get it in their newsfeed. It's basically useless. So people can go and they can like your page, but that doesn't make a difference unless you're paying Facebook to have your stuff sent into their news feeds. This is, it stems from Facebook trying to, and successfully exploiting corporations, you know, big companies who are willing, they have advertising budgets, and so they see, well, we are engaging a lot of people um, on this kind of social media, and so we are willing to pay. But meanwhile, small businesses and artists who use Facebook to keep in touch with their fans are left out in the cold and uh now we are not only almost shut out but we are completely shut out and so facebook has entered the state of essential uselessness when it comes to keeping in touch with your fan base as an artist you can look up there's a lot of stories on this right now because it's you know like the organic reach is just done people are talking about it um But essentially what I talked about last time I brought this up was that there will spring up an alternative, uh, an alternative website, alternative method of reaching fans right now. Twitter is a huge thing because Twitter does not, while they do promote, um, posts with paid advertising, they don't throttle your posts like Facebook does. So you're able to have direct communication with a lot of your fans, but you know, Twitter, as cool as it is, as as nice as it is, I use Twitter all the time to talk to people. Uh, definitely not as big as Facebook is. Um, not as built around, a, you know, when you think about the internet, the internet is kind of Facebook right now. That's They're kind of synonymous with each other. So it's definitely uh, a big blow to independent artists and independent business owners to not have access to that whole site now Um, it's pretty rough so if you're out there you're a a web programmer you know back-end designer maybe you have an idea for something now is the time because people will move um, people will move to your thing because they're getting treated like crap by Facebook and uh, it's only a matter of time before the other areas you know SoundCloud is is deteriorating pretty quickly. They're about to go to a paid subscription thing. So there's there's room in the market for you to do something cool and we're all waiting for you to do it. So if you're listening to my show and that is something that you have the ability and the, the drive to do now is the time to do that. Second thing I wanted to bring up is uh, this conversation that has been running around a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to talk about it but just had so many things coming up. Um, Bjork had this really interesting interview where she kind of talked about how, so her, her, her backing up, her album leaked, and that's kind of a bummer because it wasn't supposed to come out for a couple more months. It wasn't like a couple days early that it leaked, but a couple months early. So already off the bat, she's starting out in in sort of a rough spot Then she comes out and she talks about um, how people are listening to this record and people involved, you know, people who helped to produce the record, um, guys specifically are being interviewed about the record and they're being asked by the interviewers about their role in the record and their role, she says, has been greatly exaggerated and uh, it's rough because she says, you know, they are constantly trying to correct the press. Um, Bjork says, you know, I did 80% of this record by myself. I produced it, I wrote it, and these guys came in and they they helped out a lot, and I'm really thankful for them, but this is my project and my record, and it's unfortunate that the press continues to hand off um, the credit to... these men that were involved in the record. She said, this is not just a thing that is happening with my record, but it is systemic in the industry in regards to how people view women in the creative industries, um, specifically music. She said, you would not question Kanye's involvement in Jesus, even though it's common knowledge that he what he did was bring in the best producers and beat makers in the industry get them all together and they essentially made that album no one is going to question kanye west's genius when it comes to that record however with something like bjork and she's saying my record i brought this thing together i did much more work than some other producers, other, other artists on my own record. And I'm not getting credit for it. And this happens all the time with women. You see it, um, especially in the mainstream. And this is just a conversation that I find really fascinating. And I think it's really important to be having right now, especially, you know, in other mediums, diversity and, um, prejudice and, you know, uh, Focusing on the, a male-dominated industry in film, in television, in music—it's everywhere—and Bjork is essentially just, you know, starting. A, she kind of started a chain reaction where now this conversation is kind of being had uh, to say, like, "Hey, maybe we should start paying attention to the things that we say and the credit that we give because it is important." It is important to make sure that female artists are given the time of day that we're not just like, oh yeah, well obviously a, a man must have written that hook or a man must have produced that track because there's no way that a girl could have done that or a woman could have done that. And that's just freaking lame. If you think that kind of stuff, you gotta check yourself. Um, I don't know, that was just something that ha- it stuck out to me. You should go and read that that interview that she did, um, it's all over the internet. You can find it in a myriad of places. Uh, but yeah, that that's something that I is really um, close to my heart, and I think that if we as artists um, collectively are able to stick up for one another, especially um, those of us in our mediums that are marginalized, you know, um, I'm thinking specifically of uh, like Ava DuVernay being snubbed at the Oscars for Selma um, totally deserved at least a nomination, you know, and, and just was completely overlooked thinking of, you know, Bjork and uh, so many other female artists that just continue to uh, be marginalized by the mainstream culture, by the press culture. As artists, we should be willing to stick up for one another and i think that's really important just some food for thought just two quick little things uh i hope that uh at least one of those things maybe resonates with you you definitely want to stick around to uh hear from latifah phillips she is of the band page cxvi as well as many other projects and you'll hear all about it it's uh coming up next I want to play you a clip from page from their uh hymns project and uh while you're listening, you should head over to uh, to their website and maybe pick up some of their music. It's really good. I like it a lot personally. Um, it's really good, and uh, we'll be right back with that talk.
2: It was a really fun night. It was really special, and it was a really quick turnaround. You know, fly in, play, fly out, six a.m. the next day.
0: Yeah, it sounded brutal when you when you told me about the schedule. It was
2: kind of like a brutal week. I played like seven times in that week. So
0: <laughs> wow.
2: Well, every you know, it was, it was Advent and Christmas, so everyone's like, "Hey, do you want to do something?" Right? <laughs> I
0: was like,
2: yes, I need the work. This is great. Um, so yeah, basically after that Sunday. I was wiped out for like a, a good few days, but yeah, for sure, it was worth it. So yeah, it was fun. It was really great. We'd love to come back, and maybe we'll make our way back next year. So um, cool. But yeah.
0: Yeah, and you're based out of where now?
2: Um, we're in a small town called Lafayette, Colorado. It's like in between Boulder, Denver. Um, cool. So you know, it's pretty close to both cities. So. I feel like we have access to both. I usually just tell people, like, Boulder, because it's easier for them to know where that is.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but, yeah, so just small town, Colorado. You like it there? I love it. I've been here, and I was living in the town next door for, like, six years, and then Reed and I have been here almost four years. So um, I'm a Houston native, like, Texas. So sure. I moved to Colorado in 2000 and just kind of never looked back. I love the mountains and the climate. <laughs> I was like, why would somebody ever live in a swamp when they can live here? Nice. So, yeah, I really, really like it a lot.
0: Cool. Are
2: you an Illinois native?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm Midwest most of my life. I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for a little bit, but that was... uh, Was that for No, no. I uh, just needed a change of scenery, so I moved out there for a little bit. Now, I liked it a lot. I think... Charlotte's beautiful. If I was able to, like, transplant some people there... I think or, it would have been great.
2: <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah.
0: Since we're already off and kicking, why don't you uh, introduce yourself for, you know, the, for the show, talk about a little, you know, about what you do. and.
2: Okay. Uh, I'm Latifah Phillips of Page CXVI, and some people say Page 116. Either way is okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm also in another band called The Autumn Film, which is all the same members. And then I'm actually launching my new solo project called Modasphera. I'm in the middle of making that record right now. Um, and I um, produce uh, our records and other artists' records as well. Um, but the last 10 years um, have spent the majority of my time mostly on Page, CXCI, um, which is a project that's dedicated to remodernizing old hymns and kind of bringing them forward in the genre of music that Dan and Reed and I love the most, which is kind of like an indie pop rock kind of vibe. <laughs> um, and so we have made, I think, 10, 10 or 11 records in the last six or seven years, and then toured all over the United States. For a while, it was 80% of the year for a few years. Um, so most of our time, we've been touring, um, getting to play these songs, Lee Worship. Um, we did a series of home concerts, um, like Lee Room concerts for a couple years. Um, and then we ended up, later on, doing like larger venues and churches and so forth. Um, But it was one of those things that started really organically and kind of rolled into something more than we anticipated, but we're really grateful for. Um, And so our most recent project was the church calendar project where where we walked from Advent all the way through Easter, over three albums. And that got released in 2014, kind of consecutively consecutively with the calendar. Um, And now we're just kind of taking a little bit of a breather. We're kind of doing one-offs, playing every now and then. Um, but this has kind of turned into a really good season for Dana Reed and I to kind of explore other things. So I've been actually um, really hard at work producing some other records for some great other artists, and now just starting my new solo record. But in the midst of that, still kind of doing some pay-six stuff whenever we get the chance because we love it. So I'd like to say we're a little bit on like touring sabbatical right now, um, right? Just doing fly dates occasionally, which is really nice compared to being in a van all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: living the dream it sounds like
2: uh yeah i mean it's my dream i'm really excited about <laughs> it. that might not be everybody's dream sure yeah
0: that sounds that sounds like so much stuff yeah so you're we have i have to. to go back to the beginning you said you're in two whole bands but with the same members yes you got to walk me through that
2: so we started originally Dana Reed and I as the Autumn Film, which like is an indie pop rock trio, and right. we were playing like bars, clubs, all original music, and we did that for a good couple years. And then when we were touring on the side, we would end up leading some worship with no moniker, um, just for fun, and it was a good way to continue to you know increase our revenue on the road and and we just love doing it and then after a couple years we had a lot of people saying hey we've noticed you really do a lot of hymns in a new way you guys should really think about putting those on a record and we were really resistant you know for a while we were like no this is just something we love to do like on film's kind of our hub that's our music and and then we had a couple of really good friends in phoenix sit us down when we were out of town on the road saying you have to do this and so We raised the money. Our first record cost like $4,000, which is nothing comparatively to what a good record costs. And I think now when you listen to them in retrospect, you can tell that that one cost less money. (laughs) Um, It was our first crack at it, you know. Um, And uh, we made that record, and we gave it away for free before there was Noise Trade, before there was Spotify, um, before people were really kind of on the let's give our music away for free train.
0: Yeah.
2: It was even before, I think before Radiohead gave away in Rainbows for free. Um, cause wow. I remember, I remember when Radiohead did that, we were like, oh, we did it first, but they're so <laughs> they did it first.
0: <laughs> That's funny.
2: Um, and then Page Six VI kind of steamrolled, and and there was a lot of demand, so we made hymns two through four all in the same time, and then released them over a couple years. Um, and and then it just kind of organically turned into most of our uh, our gigging opportunities were Page Six VI based. So by the last, you know, five years on the road, it was pretty much all page TXVI, and hardly any Autumn, autumn film. Um, but we were okay with that. Like, when the guys and I talked about it, we said, you know, we really love both of these projects. Both of these projects represent who we are, and if one of them kind of rolls out to be bigger than the other, that's totally fine, because they're both us, you know? Yeah. And what was really fun, at some pages, if it was like a page 6 concert and not specifically meant for congregational worship, I would generally incorporate some monofilm songs and share the stories and stuff. So we still got, kind of got to use them and use that catalog. Um, so yeah, it just kind of happened that way. Um, it wasn't the original plan, but Dan and Reed and I kind of made it intentional for us to be flexible and to kind of like where we felt like we were being led. Um, to do whatever kind of music we were supposed to be doing at the time. Um, and I'm really thankful for them. I, and, and also just that all three of us felt the same way about that.
0: Yeah. So we talk a little bit on the show about like branding and stuff. Was it important for you to have a whole different brand, like so moving from the Autumn Film to the Page CXVI right. and yes. making that a distinct entity?
2: It was super important. Actually, when we started Page CXVI, it was anonymous. Um, we wanted some mystery behind the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you if you ever if you go to our website or you get our physical CDs, there's a stamp icon um, of a lion and it's like just a small rectangular stamp underneath the lion logo is just page six VI and then above that logo is like hymns one, hymns two, hymns three. And we just changed the C D like color scheme basically, but kept the same branding. Yeah because originally we thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool if it could always remain anonymous, but then that re- wasn't really realistic. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to turn it off. Um, nice. Anyways, that's real life. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so we, we wanted the branding to be simple, specific, um, and consistent, because we knew we want to make a ton of records because there's so many hymns that you could choose from. Sure. And Autumn Film had kind of, made a way, like, a small name and as small as, like, indie, unknown rock bands can be, um, for just kind of being, like, more of, like, a cinematic pop indie rock trio that's, like, very heartfelt kind of songs. And it just felt like that was our branch to write original music and do whatever we want. And Page 6 I felt like we had some responsibility around the content we were putting out because it had an audience and it had a group of people that have, you know growing up loving these songs and if you're gonna use them in the sense of congregational worship there are some other pieces to think about so we know we knew we didn't want the branding to be our faces because um, we didn't want it to be about us you know sure. we wanted it to be about the music and the collective experience so all of it was very intentional separating it was really intentional um, I remember there was this really funny blog when the first CD came out because it was all anonymous no names no photos. Um, it was a blog called him or hers or hymns or hers. And they were arguing about oh, gosh. How, if I was a boy or a girl singer, <laughs> like <laughs> half the people were like, it's definitely a dude. There's no way like a girl singer could sing that low. And then half of them were like, no way it's definitely a girl.
0: And you're like mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. It was really funny. So yeah. And, and Dana Reed, um, all of us, all three of us really cared a lot about the branding and we cared about having kind of a consistent, Image that people could see and, and know it was us, especially since we have a name that's a little ambiguous and weird to say. Sure. Uh, we wanted something that somebody could see and say, "Oh, that—that's Paige," you know. So when we got to the calendar records, instead of the lion icon, I chose icons that represented the seasons, but it was still in the same stamp package with the same format and just a different color scheme. So, um, but yeah, you know, so everybody has a different theory on branding. That's just kind of how we ended up doing it.
0: Yeah. So, I talk to a lot of people who are kind of in both the indie world and the church music world, and usually they grow to resent one or the other Mm -hmm. as they kind of progress through things. It sounds like you have a pretty good relationship with both of those
2: worlds. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I have been really lucky to have been able to make the kind of music I want to make. For both projects, um, and even now, the Spira is just you know all original music content. It's kind of turning into like an R&B, like 90s R&B meets like like Tears for Fears 80s pop meets like EDM kind nice. of music, you know. Um, and it's songs about my life, uh, but I, I I really love, generally love both projects, and they're they're both they both represent large parts of who I am. And, um, you know, Autumn Film, we had some sort of, we had a little bit of, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, courting kind of from, like, some labels and those kinds of things.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, all those things kind of ended up not working out. Some because we said no, some because the conversation just ended. And even paychecks, we yeah, I had some interest from um, some indie labels at, like, different points in our career. But Dana Reed and I felt really strongly about being able to have the freedom to always be creatively as free as we need to be. Um, and so I think because of that, too, like we hadn't, we were, we've been on our own the whole time. Like, yeah. we've never really had anybody telling us you have to make this kind of thing because these people want this. We've always just made something because we felt compelled to. And so I think because of that, I can't really resent anything because it's all come from me. Like, nobody's been like forcing anything on us or saying we have to be a certain way. Um, And to be honest, I mean I I love God and like I love I love the mystery and the simplicity but challenge of living a life of faith. And I can talk about that in and outside of the church in the exact same capacity, you know, and I can do that with all different kinds of music. And I don't have like an agenda other than just like sharing my life and my stories with other people. And I feel like the music we've chosen with hymns do that successfully, and I think the songs I write do that successfully, just in different ways. And I think it's also why I'm so specific about the content for Page XVI. If it doesn't come from a really earnest, genuine, genuine place in my heart and my life, it's hard for me to want to put it on a record. So, because also, I'm going to have to sing those songs for years to come, hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I think that we've been really lucky in that way, and... You know, Page 6 VI, like, we did the rock and roll club thing for a while, and that was kind of fun because you meet lots of different kinds of people. And we've done the church thing for a long time. And the the real truth is there's experiences in both places I didn't like and experiences I liked in both places too. So people are just people. It's just, like, different structures they gather in. So, (laughs) Um, but, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that's why. I think most of it has to do that we've just been on our own the whole time, you know.
0: Yeah, oh. that's great. I think it's it makes a lot of sense listening to you say that, like listening to the records, even even like the far back, you know, Hymns 1, stuff like yeah. that. You can hear, or I can hear anyway, th- just a vast difference between most of what, you know, like, like regular church music. You sure. pop in any of the Hymns records, um, and they immediately stick out and I think part of it is obviously that they're they're mixed in a way that is not um, typical of like mainstream church music but also I think the honesty comes through so that's it's good to hear you talk about that and I think that that's something that more people in that uh, vein could stand to learn something from
2: <laughs> um, Thanks I appreciate that I mean the fact that we've basically been outside the quote- unquote industry our whole career like I think it just leaves you less jaded.
1: Sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I
2: don't know though because I haven't been in it, so it's also (laughs) like like comparing. But
0: yeah, yeah. let's take a little bit. uh, Let's look at some of the more recent history of the band. Yeah. You're getting ready to. It's the beginning of you know, or end of 2013. You're getting ready to start this new project, and you're going to focus on the church calendar, and so you set up a crowdfunding. Project. Yep. What made you decide to do that?
2: You know, um, Dana Reed and I uh, talked a lot about how can we make this. We all we we were always compelled, whatever record we were making next, we wanted it to be better than the last record we put out. Um, And as we've grown as musicians and performers and artists, um, we've been really lucky to have some people around here in our neighborhood um, grow with us and and their families grow, and their skill level grows, and their gear grows. Um, and so everybody, everything costs a little bit more. Uh, right. And it should, to be honest. I think the better you get at your crafts, and the more you invest the time and the energy and the equipment, you should be able to rightfully ask for a little bit more money. You know. Um, and so uh, our engineer and our co-producer, Dave Wilton, who I, I've worked with a lot on other projects outside of Page, he's a super gifted artist and musician. He has his own solo project a boy in his kite which is a gorgeous record and then he's part of a worship band called Loud Harp. I don't know if you've heard of them. I haven't. Oh man, you would love them. If you like PJ Harvey, yeah, you're going to love Loud Harp is like the not him version but like it's just meditative, beautiful, moody indie rock with beautiful like psalms and it's just a great project. You should check it out. But cool. um uh anyways, uh Dave uh, has, is a joy to work with. He worked with us on hymns two through four, and then also on the calendar record and lullabies. And he's a great co-producer, really fun to work with. Um, but like even like the fact that not only should Dave ask for more, I want to pay Dave more because he's better than he used to be. You know, yeah. I've seen him invest in getting better gear. I've seen his family grow from one kid to three kids. You know, all that stuff. Um, and so we knew we wanted. Um, certain people to mix and master. Dave actually mixed, and we had a friend of ours master at Nashville. And we knew it was going to cost more to make these records if we wanted to do them the right way. Um, and I'll also say, you know, when we raise money on Indiegogo, like, it's not money that we're paying ourselves. It's not like I put myself on salary to make these records. Every penny went towards the production of the album. Um, we didn't buy gear. We, like, literally just, like, paid to make the records. And... Um, so we felt like you know fifteen thousand dollars a record is a really reasonable price when you consider all the things that are involved. And you know, I actually spent from start to finish me fifteen months on this project. Um, so when we sat down to do the crowdsourcing, I'd already I was already six months in.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, crafting the songs, doing all the research. Like I, I it started with like a thousand songs. That I had to narrow down to what ended up being like twenty three songs or whatever, or twenty two songs. Um. So we just decided to ask, and we said, you know, if the demand's there, we'll do it. And if it's not, we'll just decrease the number of records we make. And if we have no demand, then we should make the records anyways. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so originally the idea was let's make three, you know, page records and one Autum film record, and we'll do $15,000 per record, um, which is a total of 60. And so we did Indiegogo, and we got enough to make three page records. And we know those were the first records we were going to make. Which was great, which meant we could do the whole calendar project. And then what was really cool is after Indiegogo was over, we still had a pre-ordering campaign on our website. And we ended up, like, meeting all of our goals. So, wow.
3: um,
2: so it was really exciting. And it's really fun to make a record when you know people already want it. Like, I kind of look at it more as, like, you know, what it used to be, which was, you know, people used to invest in artists by artists by commissioning them to do a project. So they had the resources to make it, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was visual artists generally. Sometimes it was composers, but um, so that's just kind of what it feels like to me. You know, it's not like it's just money goes in our pocket and I go like buy a new couch for my house. You know, <laughs> uh, I looked at it really seriously as somebody investing in a project. So we better make it great. You know, and I think that's also why I had some real dark nights of the soul when we were making this project because I just really felt the weight of that. There was a responsibility. Um, and I just really wanted to make sure it was the best thing we ever put out. Um, and I feel that way; it was just great. Somebody might disagree, yeah. <laughs> that way. you know what I mean? So that that felt really good.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: so and Indiegogo was great too because it's unlike Kickstarter, which I also love. Kickstarter, we did an autumn film campaign on Kickstarter that went really well. Um, they their policy is if you don't hit your maximum, you still get to keep what you raise. They just take a little bit of a larger percentage from the top. Um, but if you hit your goal, you, I think it's actually maybe... I'd have to check again, but I think it's a smaller percentage off the top than even Kickstarter takes. Mm. Um, so I really enjoyed working with Indiegogo. I thought that was a really easy-to-use, like fan-friendly and user-friendly campaign kind of crowdfunding source website. Um, and I'm actually going to do one for Moda probably in the spring. Um, and, and I'm not sure which, which site I'm going to use yet, but I'm looking forward to it. It's a good way for an artist to get a sense, too, if they're making something that people really want. Yeah, for sure. Oh, Which is also dangerous, I'll also say, because artists should be driven first by what they're compelled to make. Um, but it's just nice to know there's a demand there.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, you're like, well, I've been working on this for six months. Maybe I should get some feedback or whatever. Right,
2: right. Totally. It's easy to lose perspective. Yeah. So. Totally.
0: That's cool. So you get all that done. You decide to do the record. How, how did you guys go about... Because you released it in segments, right? Over we did. The, over the course of the... The calendar. The, yeah, the church calendar, and it was all thematic. What yeah. What was that whole process like?
2: Um, well, I started in the summer... I can't remember now. Hold on. I started the summer of 2000 and... Wait. 2012? I started sitting down and, and sort and like started learning about the calendar, started compiling hymns. You
0: know, it's it's 2015 now, right?
2: Right, <laughs> but we let we let it we let it we released it in 2014. And That's so such I, a
0: long time. That's such I know, a long time. Man,
2: you're telling me. <laughs> um, I mean, and there were some other like it, when I was starting the summer, we were still touring a lot, so it was like I was on the road researching, or when I was home, or like had a moment next to a piano. I mean, voice memo on my phone is like my best friend, and so is text edit, because it just keeps track of all that stuff. Um, So I started compiling and researching then, and then um, by the time we did the campaign, which was 2013, I was already like a handful of months in, and I had started to narrow down the songs that I wanted. So it usually starts with me, and I kind of narrowed down a bunch of songs. And so when I got it down to like 26, 30 tunes... I started sending kind of the acoustic, just me and piano versions to Dan and Reed and to Dave. And I say, hey guys, this is what I'm thinking. This is like the 10 I found for Advent to Christmas, the 10 I found for Lent to Monty, you know, and the 10 I found for Good Friday to Easter. And I kind of get yay or nays back from them, like, yeah, totally into this, totally not into this. And I'm the kind of person I think when also when I'm thinking and writing, I actually hear the whole landscape. Like, it's not, I don't just hear vocal piano. I already kind of know exactly what's going to inform the track sonically. Hmm. Uh, so I would, like, sometimes I would build it out even to in logic and say, hey, here's the beat I'm thinking, and here's, like, this or that, you know. And um, So some of them are a little more developed than others. But Dan Reed and Dave know me well enough, too. I think they can, like, hear where I'm going. We've worked 10 years together now. Um, but um, so once I kind of got yay or nays, then it was like I had to start scheduling everything because I knew we – this was, like – Scarier than other projects because we were on a really serious deadline because we were knew we wanted to release it with the calendar when we started releasing. Right. Also, kind of weird to do three releases within six months of each other. Um, I don't think I really thought through like all the. (laughs) So. But then you were doing it. Yeah. So, but if we were recording Advent to Christmas in July, um, and. Uh, we actually recorded all three. We probably spent uh, three months tracking, not like every day, but like over three months we tracked all three records. and then and then it was like, so Dan and me come in for that. They come in and do their parts and they're brilliant musicians and um, they spent like you know a week or so in the studio tracking all their parts. And then we got some other musicians in to do strings and horns and that kind of stuff. Um, and then um, and then after that it's editing. It is like editing city. So Dave and I would edit and um and just kind of keep working on the record. And then it's down to mixing, which is like a whole other journey. And we were still editing some and mixing. <laughs> um, and we were like on the wire for almost every record. Um, there wasn't a lot of breathing room. And then once we had it finished, it was like, OK, I have to promote this now. So then it was like equally <laughs> I knew. Like All the bloggers and all the magazines that would even like remotely pay attention to us and say, hey, we're doing this thing, are you interested in it? Um, and so, yeah, when it was done, I was exhausted. It was like, <laughs> I, I was really, I don't want to even use the term burnt out, because that doesn't seem right, because the reality is, too, it's probably the most life-giving project I've ever worked on. Mm. Um, and maybe because it was the content, and it was the first time I really engaged the calendar, I have never spent so much time studying, like, basically, like the whole gospel story that intensely for that long. Um, And so I was really, um, found myself really moved by the project. I had moments where I would get really emotional. Like, I remember tracking the vocal for uh, This Blessed Day, which is a song about Palm Sunday. And um, it's actually a conglomerate of two different hymns I found and then like some ad hoc stuff he threw in. Um, But I started tracking the vocal, and it doesn't happen to me a lot, but I started crying. And it's not even like a sad song. And Dave's like, why are you so emotional? And um, I just said, it just occurred to me that when Christ was riding the donkey and like people were praising him as a king and a messiah, that in a matter of days these exact same people were going to crucify him on the cross. And like he knew that and still love them and, like, gave them that moment, you know, and it just kind of blew me away, and I just felt really thankful for that experience, <laughs> and I had, like, little pockets of, like, that, you know, throughout, like, realizations of, like, putting myself in the place of, what if that was me or somebody I loved, and, like, what would that really feel like, and, um, so it felt really life-giving, too, but, man, I needed a break afterwards. I was, I was pretty out. so, yeah. um... So, yeah, that's kind of, does that answer your question? I feel like that was really long-winded, but yeah. uh, that was kind of the process. But um, uh, I, I love those records. I'm really proud of them. And um, I, and these records were different, too, than Hymns 1 through 4. Um, Hymns 1 through 4, I had a deeper intention of wanting to, them to be the majority of each record be user-friendly for, like, other leaders or other churches to feel like they could really cover the arrangements. And I was less concerned with that for the, for this project. Um, this project was meant to be more contemplative than it was to be congregational although I do think there are congregational songs on each record that are super people are able to do um, that was not my first concern whereas the other records that was definitely on my mind as I was making them so sure so that was kind of fun too to have that freedom to kind of just be like I can do whatever I want <laughs> so
0: yeah yeah that's awesome that's not a uh Freedom that every church music writer gets to experience. So,
2: nope, you're right.
0: You're know, like, <laughs> I get to do whatever I want. So, <laughs> I <don't know>.
2: whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's that sounds like a really intense uh, journey. But yeah. I think I think that all of that stuff, at least for me, all of that stuff comes through in a really positive way for for those that collection of songs. I think it's really especially like for me because like Easter Easter is like my favorite time of year I don't really get into Christmas very much but right. Easter is like my thing and when you guys put out the the first I mean I think the first track that I listened to was uh, and can it be and I popped that on at work and I was like yep this is something that's that's really special um. and really captures I don't know I, I I just get so tired of church music sometimes, and it's nice to have something blow in that's, like, fresh, you know? So, oh, I
2: appreciate that. It's
0: that's like, just me. To, me.
2: to me, it's not fresh because I've been living with it. You know uh-huh.
0: I mean? so oh, I'm yeah.
2: like, man, I hope this isn't, like... Uh, every artist deals with insecurity, so I yeah. will like... We bathe in it, but, like... <laughs> but then we're, like, a weird combination of you also have to like yourself enough and be confident enough in what you're making that you even like think oh this is good people will like this so I'm going to put it out and then the other immediate thought is well people like it I mean it's so <laughs>
0: complexness
2: but um, it's nice to hear when people are enjoying it that makes me happy for sure so yeah
0: for sure so you do you do production stuff as well now you were talking about
2: yeah you know I I started I made my first record on my own when I was 21 and I've learned to make records by making records. And that means my first, like, five records are terrible. So please don't, <laughs> to this. don't go find them and listen to them. They're really bad. <laughs> um, but I've also been, I've worked with the best of men. I've, I've had really kind people that have generous teaching spirits because I've always been really interested in how things work. And just kind of, it turned into, like, really high control like, I wanted to sit next to every mixer and every engineer because I wanted to make sure they would make... Because I always knew what I wanted to hear, you know. And then it, and then I realized I really enjoyed understanding how it worked, and I wanted to learn it. So um, Dave, Wilton in particular, has been a really generous teacher. So he's taught me a lot about engineering and sound and um, logic and so forth. And then Jason Lenning, who we did The Ship in the Sea with for Autumn Film, he's out of Nashville. Man, he's still... Like, we were just texting right before I, like called you, because I was telling him I was learning about my compressor that he had talked to me about, and seven years later, he still answers every call and text when I got questions about how to mic something, or I'm learning something new, and um, yeah, so I've been really fortunate to work with the best of men um, in that way, Uh, and um, and so then I kind of organically turned into, I just love producing, I love making records, and um, Dave was the first artist that asked me to help him produce his record, his solo record called A Boy and His Kite, which is outstanding everyone should go out and buy it right now. I think it's on even on sale on iTunes. Um, he's a prolific songwriter, um, but uh, he was the first guy to ask me to help co-produce, and it was it wasn't my own stuff, and I loved it. It's like all the fun and freedom of the playground with no artistic angst, because it's like not your own stuff. Nice. <laughs> you just get to journey alongside someone and help them and encourage them and coach them and take care of them, and it's really fun and. Um, so I did Days, and then Dave and I did a few records together co-producing for other artists. And then this year, I just finished, and it's releasing February 3rd. Aaron Strumpel has a record coming out called Bright Star, and I am slamming proud of it. And um, he's an amazing artist. He did all the trumpets on all the Page records and all of Film Records. So if you've heard the trumpet, you've heard Aaron. But he also has, like, an out-of-control voice and is an amazing songwriter. And... Um, and I think he even has some pre-release stuff right now, but um, I'm really excited for that record. And then I'm doing a remix record for another artist called Tracy Howe, who's another really gifted artist concerned with beautiful things in the world. And um, that's been really fun, too. It's like all electronic, like fun sounds with this beautiful feminine light voice over it. And um, so, yeah, and I'm doing my first rap record this spring. I'm really excited about it. My <laughs> guy from Brooklyn. um, And I don't want to say his name yet because I'm not sure if he wants to use an artist moniker or not. But he is an amazing trombone player and a really gifted artist. And I'm excited to work with him. Um, So, yeah, I just, I kind of, like, I'm looking forward to the future. I I can't wait. I love, I just love, like, working alongside other artists. It's a really, it's turned into a real passion of mine. And um, it's just really gratifying. It's gratifying work. Um... And then for my work record, I'm going to work with an amazing co-producer and woman named Jordan Hamlin from Nashville. And she's done a lot of stuff with Katie Herzig. She just produced the Indigo Girls new record that's coming out soon. And um, she's done stuff with Missy Higgins and lots of people. And she's just crazy talented. And there's not many women in our industry that produce and engineer and all that stuff. And so it's just really fun to get to work with another girl that's pretty amazing. Um, so, Yeah. It's been interesting, like how things have panned out. If you had asked me 10 years ago, this is what I'd be doing, I'd say no way. But I'm so glad this is what I get to do. I'm I'm really grateful. So, um, yeah, I've been keeping busy.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. We're, so, you think that'll be a big part of what you do going forward? Is the production stuff, or like where do you see yourself, like in 10 years?
2: Oh man, it's hard to say. I I can tell you what I hope for. I hope that I'm still making music full time. Um, And I I hope it's a mixture of my own artistry and others' artistry. So I hope that I'm still producing for other people, and I hope I'm still generating new stuff for Page or Moda Spira or Autumn Film or whatever other new project I want to create. Um, I love Dan and Reed. I don't think any of us feel done in regards to being with each other. We really love each other. And um, they're my favorite people to make music with. Um, I mean, I married Reed. He's my husband, so, like... (laughs) We're really you gotta, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, but uh, they're just, they're the greatest. Um, so I don't know what the future holds, but what I hope for is just more artistry, more music. I hope it's more music um, in, like, inside and outside of the church if, if you want to use that language. But, you know, I, I would love to continue to make music in both arenas for the rest of my life if I can. And if it ends up just being one, like, I'm really okay with that. Um, as long as it's music that I feel really convicted about and compelled to make, I'm happy to do that for anybody who will listen.
0: <laughs> so. so keep listening. Yeah, exactly. Everyone.
2: Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> where uh where online should people go to check out all the stuff that you're doing?
2: So, if you go to latifaphillips.com, so that's like Queen Latifa, L A T I F A H. I have to say that because Yeah, no. It, they don't know otherwise. They're like <laughs> Tiffany? (laughs) And I'm like, no, like Queen Latifah. And immediately they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) So like, um, latifaphillips.com has links to all my projects. So you can find pagecxvi.com, autumnfilm.com, solami.com, which is like an electronica project I did with Derek and Webb and Josh Moore. Um, And I I was just the voice on that. Um, And then modisphera.com. So, and then it will link to all the stuff I produced, too, so you could click on the other artists I've worked with, which is pretty fun. Um, so I try to just funnel people there right now because then they can kind of find all of it. It's not, like, you know, the sexiest website, but that's okay. <laughs> all the links work. So there
0: you go. That's what matters.
2: My budget was the smallest for that one, which was $0, so I did that one. <laughs> the page expires <laughs> the film are much better looking because real designers built them. <laughs>
0: Because there was an existing budget for that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah.
0: I think, I think most of the people that are listening to this show probably could relate to that a little bit. Like, yeah, yep. which
2: Moda Spira's budget right now is also currently $0, so don't judge that website either.
0: Nice. Um, so if people are like following you on social media and stuff, and say you have a Kickstarter or Indiegogo that comes up for Moda yes. people can get plugged into that.
2: Yes, at Moduspira for Twitter and Instagram. Um, I think my I think Latifa Phillips or at Latifa is me personally for Twitter. And then we have at the Autumn Film at Page CXVI. It's all over the place. But if you're really interested about Moduspira, like definitely follow Moduspira. It's um, I'm really excited about the project.
0: So. I can tell. I can see it in your face. It's great.
2: Yeah, yeah. I really I just spent um, ten days unadulterated days. It's the longest. Time I've had so far to really dive in and Jordan came out for seven of those days so it's like right at the tip of my fingers right now and fresh in my mind and um, it's really different from stuff I've made in the past but that's kind of the point it's just sure. it's musically indulgent it's so fun <laughs>
0: so. awesome well I look forward to hearing that can't wait to see what's you know all the stuff that's coming out in 2015 thanks Dave thanks Latifa. I really appreciated you coming on the show
3: These sons of men, oh hearken Your hearts and minds, prepare them To hail the Almighty King, sweet Jose.
1: Thanks again to Latifa for coming on the show. You can come back whenever you want. It will be great. I had such a good time. If you guys want to join in the conversation, maybe something in this episode struck you and you want to have your two cents, uh, hit me up on Twitter at David Mantel. Uh, or if it's something a little bit longer than 140 characters, you can hit me up via email at brokenlightrecords at gmail.com. If you guys uh, would be so kind, if you enjoyed this episode, if we've earned your uh, your like, you can go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast and you'll get an episode delivered into your inbox every Wednesday, just like magic. You don't have to do anything. It'll just be there waiting for you and you can listen to it whenever you want. If you've already subscribed and that's something that um, you, know, you enjoy having this show delivered to you week after week on Wednesdays, you can head over to... The review section on iTunes and leave me, a uh, you know, several stars. Five stars is uh, preferred, but I want you to be honest. Leave a little comment. Even if it's something like I hate this show these are the reasons that I hate it I need to know those things so that maybe I can change or maybe I can just uh, leave you an angry message and say you don't know what you're talking about. This is the best podcast in the world. Um, either way Head over to iTunes and you guys can do that. Uh, We have new episodes every Wednesday. Feel free to uh, keep listening. Thank you for making it this far. And uh, we'll see you next week.